Bangladesh is scheduled to have its 11th parliamentary elections on the 30th of December 2018. In the run-up to the polls, we met with the South Asia campaigner for Amnesty International, Saad Hamadi, to talk about the state of human rights in Bangladesh. In this episode of Himal Interviews, Hamadi speaks to her editor Anuhita Majumdar about the Awami League government's crackdown on peaceful protesters, its lethal war on drugs, and a new legislation which severely curtails free speech on the internet. Thanks for joining us, Saad, for at such short notice to talk about the situation in Bangladesh. Welcome to the Himal podcast. Bangladesh is going to the elections at the end of this month. And two of the aspects which impact on the electoral situation are the freedom of expression as well as the right of association. I'm wondering if you can talk about these two aspects which you have been tracking. Thank you, Anohita, for having me. And... Uh, Yes, you've raised a very important question and as we have seen in the last few months particularly and it has continued for a long time, the right of association has been heavily compromised in many occasions and if we look back just a few months ago in August when very young students from school have protested for safer roads on the streets following two of their classmates uh, who were killed in a, by a speeding bus. That was cracked down by the government with brutal forces, which had prompted a lot of uh, agitation, which had, uh, but then this was, of course, uh, held peacefully by the students, but uh, received a lot of criticism following the brutal crackdown that was launched by pro-government activists, as well as the security forces uh, who got onto the streets and literally attack many of those students who have, who have had to be taken to hospitals, uh, who require treatment, they, they were hit with uh, rubber bullets. And this is not the first time. Uh, earlier this year, there were students who were protesting for public service recruitment to be more open to students and the general students than just a group of uh, or a sect of those students who were from the families of freedom fighters and other quota-based arrangements that were there, which had very little space for the general students to have that access and opportunity uh, in the public service recruitment. So they wanted a reform in the process. And that had also faced a, a lot of attacks from the security forces, again, the pro-government activists, uh, to the point that someone uh, was shot so badly uh, with rubber bullets that he, his life was in danger, and that is just one person I'm talking about. There might have been a number of other incidents that have happened in, in the same manner, because when the police fires rubber bullets, it's against... And, and this is, who are you targeting? You're targeting unarmed students and who are... And the protests were largely peaceful, as far as I know, and yet they were met with forceful, violent uh, repression. Absolutely, because these students had had no arms in their hands. They had literally nothing. They were raising their voices. They had a particular demand and which had to do with the reform. And their requests were to the Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina uh, in Bangladesh. And when this was not met, they had waited for a long time. This protest started in February. It had continued up to April. And eventually, after a long gap of time, the government had assured that this whole quota system the reservation in public service recruitment would be removed altogether, although that was not in their demand. 
They wanted that the, the quota be reduced to a certain portion where more common students are able to get their jobs. In the and same some way, of the demands of the students protesting on the traffic issues have also been met, but both have come at a quite a high cost. Absolutely. And some of the cases which have been registered against the protesting students, what is the situation regarding that? Yes, and that, that's where the freedom of expression comes into act as well. Uh, a lot of these cases have been framed under the Information and Communication Technology Act, which is the law that preceded the current Digital Security Act, which, ha which had come into action or function since October this year. And both of these laws have some extremely repressive elements. The ICT Act, for instance, had one section which was overbroad, had multiple uh, provisions within that one section that could implicate a person for various charges such as hurtful to religious sentiments and expressions that could deteriorate law and order. All of these are vague terms because what, what deteriorates law and order? Because we've seen in previous laws that a provision would come with explanation, exceptions and, and the definition of the law itself. But these laws, in, and there is no rule for the, for the law either, that how this law would be implemented, on what circumstances it applies. Without those clarity, when you have this overbroad and vague provision, it, it creates fear and makes life more difficult for people to really exercise uh, this freedom of expression, and, and which is what prompts the general people to go into self-censorship. The days have come to such extent that I've talked to a number of journalists in Bangladesh, renowned editors who have, who have shared with me their concerns and fears. Some of them have been charged with as many as 60 to 80 cases uh, on the You're ICT Act. You're talking about Anam as well? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and so this creates a fear and an anxiety among the society which is not, uh, which is not the way that you promote or uphold freedom of expression in a so country. So it's so broad that you actually don't know what might be illegal, so you basically stop saying almost anything which could be critical because it's prone to interpretation as a crime. Exactly. And that was the ICT Act. You have now formed a Digital Security Act which the government says that it is fundamentally or essentially to tackle crimes committed on the digital platforms, on internet, on computers and other digital devices, which is a welcome step because the country is progressing. You have a number of uh, systems in place, uh, which is broadly technological, and there are crimes committed on the digital platforms. You have bank fraudulences and, and all these crimes that are taking place and which requires action. But when you have elements where again the freedom of expression is attacked, again you have provisions that say that if you say uh, something or if you, if you campaign or make propaganda against the spirit of Bangladesh's liberation war or the national flag or, or the national anthem, then you are subject to an imprisonment which can go up to 14 years. In fact, it goes up to life term, not 14 years. Uh, there are other elements where, for instance, if you if you express something on the uh, website or on electronic media uh, which is hurtful to religious sentiments, that can sentence you up to 14 years in imprisonment. 
these are like sweeping provisions which are detrimental to the freedom of expression in any country because and we recently saw a use of this act against uh, Shahidul Alam a celebrated photojournalist and civil society activist who's actually really worked very hard for the poorest and marginalized of Bangladesh yes and Shahidul Alam's case Amnesty International had campaigned from the very beginning when he was detained uh, arbitrarily again it was only registered a day after he was picked up and then he had served more than 100 days in prison he was incarcerated the trial continues there is interestingly enough there has not been an investigation which has been completed as of yet and he has already served in detention for all these days for more than 100 days this was an emblematic case which reflects the kind of fear that human rights defenders and social activists are now going through and that is exactly what they have said that Shahidul Alam's case was something that was made to create an example Shahidul Alam is very well regarded yes, and if the government can behave like this with him it serves as a warning exactly. for other people exactly. who might wish to speak up and criticize the government right apart from these issues sad could you reflect a little bit on other aspects of human rights violations in Bangladesh one issue which has been controversial is the war on drugs We've been seeing this since May. Bangladesh has registered an exponential level of extrajudicial executions, which are alleged, of course, and they need to be investigated. But only in this year, according to one local human rights organization, the number of these alleged extrajudicial executions have gone up to 437, which is a huge number. Of this number, there are about 276 people who have been killed. in this war on drug campaign which initiated earlier in May and of course the drug menace is again something that is a serious concern for the country for the consumption as well as for the supply but you have a judicial system in your country you have the rule of law there is a very standard narrative given by the government which says that the security agencies had to retaliate for their self defense and almost on all occasions these are uh, drug peddlers and drug dealers that have been executed had arms Prompt as you're questions. saying the pattern of the narrative and the repeated sameness yes. of the narrative it's hard to believe and requires an investigation thoroughly from independent organizations or within the government but so long the investigations are impartial and independent what needs to be known is also that many of the family members of these victims have reported that their family members were picked up days ahead by security men or people in plain clothes who have identified themselves as members of the rapid action battalion or the police or the detective branch the different agencies that bangladesh has and it also shows a pattern and in many cases these are family members of vulnerable groups who have hardly any access or influence in that aspect yeah you've pointed to these abductions as it were by security forces because there is no legal paperwork which is done before taking them from their homes but abductions and disappearances in bangladesh also go beyond those who are targeted in the war on drugs could you talk a little bit about that you have now at least 71 alleged enforced disappearances since the beginning of this year and this is not just 
this year it has been continuing almost on on average on every year there are about 80 to 90 cases of alleged enforced disappearances the government has continually denied the existence of enforced disappearances or and it has not recognized it as a crime as of yet but when the numbers are so high it is hard to believe that this crime does not exist and oftentimes we have seen that the government says that these are politically motivated allegations made against the ruling party and it's created to sort of exert pressure on the government and on the functions of the state a lot of the times i've said that it's either a crime committed in the in the sense that it's it's like a kidnapping or a general abduction or it's done deliberately by the people themselves to go into hiding but when you have so many claims it really needs to be investigated the government has also not shown where these crimes are actually done uh, by the individuals themselves when you don't have a proof when you don't have these individuals on card or you are not able to provide any ground for what you claim it leaves that question unanswered we've seen this former diplomat uh, in bangladesh maruf zaman who has disappeared in december 2017 there has been no news of it he's got two daughters who are extremely concerned and they have been constantly going to doors of various people seeking justice seeking an answer for what happened to their father and there is no closure and this is so just one of many so what gives the cases. government the impunity to go ahead with this variety of violations do you, is there not a political cost are the people not concerned about it or has there been a pushback it's a very good question but it is also a very difficult one to answer because what the pattern says is that people unless they are affected directly they don't feel the the pain that these victims and families of the victims undergo and which is why there is not enough pressure which is why there is not a collective movement that can push the government it's not compelling enough for the government and that is what i think uh, has created this level of impunity what's more important is that now that bangladesh is going for an election the political parties must take this as one of their election commitments or manifesto to uphold the human rights and ensure the justice system the clients that have been reported in so many occasions with regards to the freedom of expression right of association of the enforced disappearances that have been alleged all of these need to be properly investigated and we need the political parties to commit to this rights that is fundamental for every human being on any country and on that note and hoping that the elections will create a better situation for human rights in bangladesh thank you very much sad for talking to us today you're welcome